Dr. Stephen Saunders, professor of psychology at Marquette University and author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today. 500 years before mental health professionals started to do this, Luther was telling people, be aware of what you're thinking, be aware of how you're behaving, change them so that you can help yourself with your depression, with your anxiety. Learn more about Martin Luther on mental health at issuesetc.org. parable of the wedding feast that Jesus tells in Matthew 22 begins so well. The king, having been refused the invitations that he had initially sent out, tells his servants to go out into the streets and bring everyone in. And then when the wedding hall isn't filled, he sends them out again to bring everyone else in. And then it ends with someone being thrown out. Welcome back to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. It's time to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the 20th Sunday after Trinity. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. He's pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome. Good to be with you, Todd. The main gospel reading for this coming Sunday ends on kind of a down note. The man who has entered the wedding feast at the invitation of the king, he ends up being thrown out for not wearing a proper wedding garment. What should we make of that? Yeah, in the liturgy, we conclude the gospel reading by intoning, this is the gospel of the Lord. But look at the words that are spoken just prior to saying that, bind him hand and foot, cast him into outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the gospel of the Lord? Well, it's actually not good news, is it? It is bad news. And in order for the gospel to be good news, there has to be the corresponding judgment of the law and the corresponding condemnation that comes to those who reject Christ. And I think for this Sunday, Todd, the overwhelming theme is the call of the gospel of God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered and died for the sins of the world, who accomplished everything for us. But those who reject that in impenitence, unbelief, hardness of heart, and remain in that, they fall under the judgment of the law in the end and the condemnation of hell to which that Holy Gospel reading speaks. This kind of leads to the assertion that we can talk about sin in terms of the Ten Commandments, and well, we should. And all of God's law, we don't love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, our neighbor as ourself, and well, we should. But from God's point of view, if we can speak in those terms, the greatest offense is to reject his Son, And by rejecting his son, I mean rejecting his son who was sent into the world to become one with our flesh and to suffer and die as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the greatest offense to God, if we can speak in that way, is to reject the atonement of Christ, where from the cross he said, it is finished, it is accomplished, all things are ready, come to the feast of salvation, it is a free gift of salvation, a free gift of mercy and forgiveness in my son. The greatest offense is to reject that. 
So I'll mention the sin against the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit calls us by the gospel to repentance and faith in Christ. And God desires, according to the gospel, all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth of what Jesus has done and to embrace it in fervent faith and love. But to spurn that call of the Spirit is that sin against the Holy Spirit, to abide in that to the end means that there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you can't have the gospel without the judgment of the law upon those who reject the gospel. But I think we definitely need to underscore today in the midst of that harsh judgment that you mentioned in Matthew 22, that the emphasis is on God's grace and the call of the gospel. And the hymn of the day is we are called to stand together. It's LSB 825 and it is sung from the perspective of the faithful Christian congregation of believers in the Lord Jesus that then reflects upon the sustaining grace of God in the centuries past for the faithful of old, the prophets and the apostles. So it's kind of a celebration. So the call of the gospel that we hear in the gospel reading for the day, Matthew 22, is then picked up on in this hymn of the day, we are called to stand together with the saints of ages past, with the patriarchs and prophets in the faith they once held fast. Promises and hopes they treasured, now we find fulfilled at last. Those whom Jesus called apostles journeyed with him side by side, heard his teaching, felt his power, saw the way he lived and died. Then the news of resurrection they delivered far and wide. Through the intervening ages, round the world the gospel spread. Faithful heralds took the message, guided where the Spirit led. So the body grew in stature, serving Christ, the living head. Now in many tongues and cultures, songs of celebration ring. Millions who confess our Savior, honor him as Lord and King. And for courage, grace, and guidance, every day their prayers they bring. To each coming generation, tell the truth, persuade, explain, till the time when time is ended, till the Savior comes again, till the saints are all united under Christ's eternal reign. So you see what the hymn of the day does is it captures the idea of the call of the gospel, which exists throughout all time until Jesus comes again. It is what we celebrate together with the saints of old, the apostles and prophets. It's what we celebrate today and what we proclaim and exclaim today till the time when time is ended, till the Savior comes again. So certainly the hymn of the day doesn't emphasize the condemnation of the law for those who reject the gospel, but rather celebrates the sustaining power of the call of the gospel to sustain us today as it did the saints of old. And I think when we talk about catechism connections, as we often do. Third article, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. You think about the man clothed in the wedding garment, or not clothed, he should have been, a reference to Christ's righteousness that covers us in our baptism. We think about the sacrament of holy baptism and the citation from Titus. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, 
we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So justified, clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And then the sacrament of the altar is fitting. You know, he is worthy and well-prepared who has faith in these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, which is to have faith in the word of the gospel. What is the collect of the day? O Lord, grant to your faithful people pardon and peace, that they may be cleansed from all their sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Look at that opening phrase. Grant to your faithful people pardon and peace, that they may be cleansed from all their sins. If we're faithful people, why do we need to be cleansed from all our sin? Doesn't faithfulness mean we have no sin? Not at all. As long as we're in this life, even as Christians, devout, faithful Christians, there's the struggle with sin. There's the need for daily contrition and repentance. And so I love how this colic picks that up in such simple but profound words. Grant to your faithful people pardon the pardon of sins forgiven, and peace, the peace of sins forgiven, an armistice before God, that they may be cleansed from all their sins, and by being cleansed from all our sins, serve you with a quiet mind. A quiet mind is the mind that rests in God's grace and in the certainty of God's salvation and God's gracious providence in Christ according to the promises of the gospel. So it's a lovely collect. And, you know, I think collects ought to be taken with us, the collects for the Sundays in the church here, and memorized and learned by heart so that we can use them, not just for the week that they apply, but as a part of our devotional life for our entire life as Christians. And, and that's what makes this one so good. It keeps before our eyes the idea that to be faithful to Christ who has called us by his gospel to the wedding feast of salvation means that we must abide continually in his pardon and peace, having our minds and hearts cleansed so that we might serve him faithfully. The intro, it is a liturgical text and Psalm 48, some verses. Right, here's the liturgical text. It's the antiphon, the Lord is righteous, in all he has done to us. For we have not obeyed his commandments. Glorify your name, O Lord, and deal with us according to your great mercy. Now I pause there after this liturgical text antiphon to make a couple of comments. What that antiphon captures is how the Lord dealt faithfully with the Old Testament church of Israel. Throughout her history, in spite of her perpetual backslidings and so forth, the Lord de dealt faithfully with her. And he dealt faithfully with the remnant. And the remnant faithful's reflection upon the Lord's righteous dealings with her is what this antiphon captures. So on the one hand, you look at all of Israel in the Old Testament church, and it's easy to see the whole congregation goes astray. and in large part, that's true. And yet, within that congregation, there were those who, while they stumbled at times, were nonetheless living in repentant faith. 
And so that's the ones who are speaking in this antiphon. The Lord is righteous in all he has done to us. We have not obeyed his commandments. Glorify your name, O Lord, and deal with us according to your great mercy. And then it goes on to the verses from Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, his holy mountain, we have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. And so those verses from Psalm 48 in the intro, it, it's the focus of the remnant faithful and how it is always upon God's undeserved love. And it praises him and honors him for that in the congregation at the temple of the Lord. So for us, we gather together each Sunday and we exclaim in our confession, great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. Our congregations where the word is preached and the sacraments are administered is the city of our God. It is his holy mountain and it is Mount Zion. And we are all part of the daughters of Judah that rejoice in his judgments. The Alleluia verse, Psalm 130, the first two verses. Now, if you think about the Alleluia verse, it comes after the Old Testament, after the epistle. We always take it up to set up the gospel at this point in our discussions. But notice how it is part of the penitential Psalter. It's Psalm 130, verses 1 and 2. Alleluia, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Alleluia. You get these alleluias framing this penitential cry out of the depths I cry to you. So the verse is from a psalm of ascent, which is the category of psalms in the Old Testament that were prayed at the time of the evening sacrifice when the congregation was led by the priest in the confession of sins. And then the faithful waited outside for the priest to return and to hear the blessing of the Lord's forgiveness. It rests then upon the certainty of the promise that God will forgive the broken and contrite of heart, no matter who they are. Those who cry out to him on the basis of his promise to them. And so when we hear the gospel readings for the day, whether it is the parable of the wedding feast, which is the primary gospel, Matthew 22, 1 through 14, or the parable of the wicked tenants. What does God want to call us to when we hear these parables? It is certainly not to despair, but he is calling us to realize the tendency of our own sinful nature to fall into the same kind of rejection of the gospel in impenitence and unbelief that we see in those who persecuted the prophets in those wicked tenants who rejected the call. And so by saying, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice, he wants us to be on the other side of that equation when we hear the gospel readings for the day, that we don't spurn the call of the gospel to repentance and faith in Christ, but that we embrace our Lord Jesus for all that he has done for us. And that's how the Alleluia verse sets up the gospel for the day. And we will get into that gospel, the first of two alternative gospels, Matthew 22, the parable of the wedding feast, next. 
Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the Support Donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. You can teach lay people theology. You're listening to Issues Etc. This fall in creation is bested by tornado, hurricane, flood, pandemic, and more. LCMS Disaster Response helps our congregations, their pastors, and other church workers to reach out to their members and neighbors with mercy, which flows from Christ to altar. We offer quality volunteer training, help for congregational readiness and response, and disaster grant funding. To learn more, visit lcms.org disaster. That's lcms.org disaster. The blood of Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. Even when we are faithless, He remains faithful. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the one-year lectionary, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy is our guest. Peter, we have the first of two gospel readings, alternates, this one being Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. The parable of the wedding feast. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and went off one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, 
bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. This is the gospel of the Lord. So, Todd, the parable of the wedding feast is a depiction of the invitation and gift of salvation that is extended in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It depicts both the call of the gospel to the Old Testament church of Israel and the call of the gospel to the Gentiles after Israel's rejection of the gospel. The king is God the Father. His son is the bridegroom, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The servants, literally bond servants, are the prophets or ministers of the king, who, by the preaching of God's word, call to repentance and faith those who hear this message concerning the son, this invitation to the wedding feast. Then you come upon this. They would not come. They paid no attention. They went off to their own business. They seized the servants, persecuting and killing them. All of that language is evidence of what I referred to earlier as the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 12, 31 and 32. It is not that the Holy Spirit is not at work through the word, through the preaching of the gospel. He is. He's at work to call to repentance and faith. But the sin against the Holy Spirit refers to those who abjectly refuse the call of the gospel and then die in that impenitence and unbelief. So the fault of such unbelief lies in the refusal to hear. It does not lie in the Holy Spirit. It does not lie in the will of God to save. God's will is that all are saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The Holy Spirit is constantly reaching out gently with the call of the gospel to bring about repentance and faith. God desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So that there are those who reject, the fault lies with them who refuse to hear. Impenitent unbelief obstinate refusal to hear and believe the gospel is a mystery that we are not intended to understand. It's kind of just laid out there for us. It's described, but there's not an explanation given. So we are called rather to walk by faith and not by sight. So what is our faith in? We trust as Christians that God desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He doesn't desire that any should perish. So we're called to walk by faith in those promises and not by sight. That is to say, not with an idea that we can figure this out or understand it, you know, as the Calvinists had double predestination to try to explain it. And the Arminians, with their decision theology, said, well, the reason why some reject and some accept is because it's a decision of the will. No, we're not called to answer those questions. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight and in humility to commend the preaching of the gospel to God who alone works faith. So the call of the gospel and the essence of the gospel as God's finished work alone in Christ is depicted in this parable in these words. Tell those who are invited, see, 
Look, behold, I have prepared my dinner. I have done it. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the feast. See, that's gospel language. Christ has done it all. And it is according to the Father's will. And now the feast is prepared. I don't know about you, Todd, but when it comes to uh, wedding invitations, uh, I enjoy getting them because I know that it is a free meal. And that may be sound uh, terrible to say, to admit, but isn't it true? I mean, we enjoy going and celebrating because all is prepared for us. And so that's highlighted here. You know, come to the wedding feast. I have prepared my dinner. Everything is ready. Conversely, the judgment of hell for rejecting Christ is depicted in these words from the parable. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murders and burned their city. So think of God's judgment against Israel in the Old Testament. Finally, there was the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. at the hand of the Babylonians. And the city was destroyed and the temple was destroyed. So we can think of that. And then also the judgment of hell is seen at the end of this parable in the one who had on no wedding garment. Bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I certainly am glad that if I receive a wedding invitation to a relative or a friend and I can't come, that that's not my destiny. So there's certainly where the point of comparison breaks off. Although, if I don't respond to the invitation, RSVP, how many are going to come to dinner? It's kind of disconcerting to the host. Can you at least have the common courtesy to say yay or nay, whether you're coming or not, and how many? Well, in this case, if you reject the gospel and you don't respond to the invitation, then you have rejected Christ and you are placing yourself outside of the mantle of his righteousness depicted in this wedding garment that is to cover all of our sin. It's the righteousness of Christ. So in the parable, it talks about worthiness. You know, they're not worthy. Unworthiness here is not based on works, but rather it is based upon faith in Christ. And notice both bad and good were called. That's another reference to salvation by grace, through faith in Jesus, and not by works, both bad and good. Those are worthy and well-prepared, if we might paraphrase the catechism language, those are worthy and well-prepared, who have faith in these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, or in this case, the words of the gospel. So the wedding garment represents the robe of Christ's righteousness that we receive in holy baptism. Wonderfully, at the time of Jesus, everyone was expected to don the festive wedding garments to attend a wedding feast. But these were provided by the host of the feast. You get the wedding garment provided to you. You've got the food and drink provided for you. Receive it. It is a gift, but it was rejected. It's another illusion, though, in this idea of the wedding garment being provided, if you understand the culture of the day, to the fact that salvation is entirely a gift of God's grace that cannot be earned, but is freely given. Here again, I just go back to where we started in your opening question, you know, what the greatest offense to God is finally and ultimately to reject his son who is offered to us so freely and so generously and graciously in the call of the gospel. Then you've got these phrases, many are called, but few are chosen, and they can be 
a puzzlement to us, but let's break it in half. Many are called. Anytime we hear in the gospel that language of many are called, the many always means all. It's what is called a Hebraism, but many are called. It's a distinction between how the call of the gospel goes out to all the world and yet only a few embrace it. So many are called, that phrase means that all are called, and then few are chosen. That causes even more dilemma for some people. It means that only those who in repentance and faith are clothed with Christ's righteousness will be saved. It does not mean that God has predestined some to heaven and some to hell. This gospel then becomes a wonderful gospel, I would argue, because it usually occurs in October in preparation for the celebration of the Reformation itself. As it highlights in the wedding garment, the complete and full righteousness of Christ, as it highlights the call of the gospel of God's grace through faith in Christ and not by works, as it highlights that all things have been accomplished in Jesus. So it's a great gospel for the month of October in which we also commemorate the Reformation. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender. He's pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. He's also a graduate of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, where they form servants in Jesus Christ to teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. There is an alternative gospel and a parallel parable next. Dr. Stephen Saunders, professor of psychology at Marquette University and author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today. 500 years before mental health professionals started to do this, Luther was telling people, be aware of what you're thinking, be aware of how you're behaving, change them so that you can help yourself with your depression, with your anxiety. Learn more about Martin Luther on mental health at issuesetc.org. This is Kevin Hildebrand, Cantor at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, inviting you to our campus in November for the annual Good Shepherd Institute Conference, November 5th through 7th. This year's conference includes addresses by Brian Spinks, Paul Grimm, and James Busher, and there's excellent music, including a Bach cantata with the Seminary Cantorai and a hymn festival at St. Paul's Lutheran Church. For complete details, visit ctsfw.edu slash GSI. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com.
Real Reformation Radio. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Have you ever wondered about some of the more difficult topics or teachings of Scripture, such as what does the Bible say about polygamy or slavery or the free will, or what about law and gospel? The October issue of The Lutheran Witness is a twin to the August 2022 issue, and it takes up some of these difficult teachings of Scripture and explains them in detail. To get your copy, visit cph.org witness or the Lutheran Witness website witness.lsms.org. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Welcome back. We are looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. Peter, we also have an alternate gospel, Matthew 21, beginning at verse 33. It's a parallel parable, if you will. Indeed it is. And this is how it reads. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants, and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Here again, Todd, you run into the same conundrum, don't you? When you say those words at the end of reading this, this is the gospel of the Lord. It doesn't sound like it at all. As you pointed out, this gospel is offered as an alternative because it has a parallel message to the parable of the wedding feast. It especially focuses upon Israel's rejection of the gospel and the persecution of the prophets sent to her that culminated finally in the rejection of Christ and his crucifixion at their hands. Again, the master in this parable is God the Father. The tenants are the impenitent members of the Old Testament church. The parable envisions the idea of tenant farmers who are caretakers of the owner's vineyard. 
and reap a benefit of the vineyard if they are faithful stewards of that which was entrusted to them. Here, faithful stewardship of the vineyard by the tenants would have been repentance and faith in the master's word. This is the fruit that the master sent his servants to receive. The servants are the prophets or ministers of the word who were repeatedly sent to the Old Testament church to call them to repentance. And an easy, quick survey of the Old Testament can bear out that. The violent treatment of the servants is the persecution and martyrdom that so many of the prophets suffered. You know, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? The foolishness of the gospel of Christ is seen in how the master sends his son to them as if they would respect him. And I draw attention to that because if we put ourselves in the parable itself, if we were the owner of the vineyard and we send servants to collect what is due to us and they beat up and kill all those who are sent, I mean, the last thing I'm going to do is send my son, for heaven's sake. Why would I think they would do anything different? But that highlights the foolishness of the gospel itself. In the end, the tenants kill the son. It's a reference to Jesus' crucifixion. And yet, in the very act of the tenant's rejection and martyrdom of the master's son, God accomplishes the salvation of the world. Marvelous. So he uses even the action of the enemies in their complete rejection of the son to establish the work of the son, which is the salvation of mankind. And so then Jesus in the parable quotes Psalm 118, which is the Passover Psalm, the stone, which refers to himself, the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And this is marvelous in our eyes, those who have received the gospel and believe it. So like the first parable of the wedding feast, the rejection of the gospel by the tenants results in the gospel being preached to the Gentiles. And I think a further word should be said, you know, it's called the inheritance when they say, let's kill the son, and then we will obtain the inheritance. An inheritance is something you're born into. It is a gift. It's not something that you earn. So that reference in the parable itself is a subtle reference to how those who rejected Jesus did so because they wanted to establish salvation on their own terms, not on God's terms. So verse 44 is another one of these difficult verses to understand. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. You know, what does that mean? I would argue that this particular verse underscores a distinction or a contrast between impenitence and repentance. Impenitence results in being crushed by the stone. There's a word of judgment. But the irony is that the one who falls upon the rock in repentance is broken to pieces in contrition and repentance. In other words, repentance or falling upon Christ, the rock of our salvation, is a blessed death to self. And it results in eternal and new life in Christ. So I think it gives the contrast there in verse 44 between impenitence and repentance. Death is involved in both, but one is the death of judgment and condemnation. The other is a death that results in new life as we are crucified with Christ 
and raised with him by the gospel. The Old Testament reading, Isaiah 55, 1 through 9. That takes us right into the gospel. You know, it's the first reading of the day, even though we cover it after we discuss the gospel. And this is all gospel language, and it talks about the invitation of the gospel. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You know, the thirsting, the spiritual thirst of the sinful heart for relief and the renewal and refreshment of the conscience. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. What a paradox, right? Because salvation is by grace. How can you buy it? Well, he who has no money, so you have nothing to buy it with. Come buy and eat. It is a free gift. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price, because the price has been paid by Christ. All is finished. Everything is ready. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Now here I pause in the reading at the end of verse 5. Isn't this reading to this point a expansion and commentary, if you will, of the invitation to the wedding feast in the first gospel reading or the call to the tenants to bring forth the fruit of repentance, to embrace the Lord's love, grace, and forgiveness in Christ? And then the Old Testament reading concludes, seek the Lord while he may be found, Call upon him while he is near. As long as life endures and the gospel is being preached, today is the day of salvation. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I conclude our brief reading of this Old Testament reading with a comment on this last portion. My thoughts are not your thoughts. That language is not about the hidden will of God, Todd, that is beyond our understanding, but rather the thoughts and the ways of God and his undeserved grace in the gospel. In other words, the way God deals with us according to grace and not according to works is what this Old Testament reading is about and what those concluding words are about. My thoughts are not your thoughts. God's ways in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the grace of God, are completely different from the works righteous ways of the sinful heart. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways of grace and mercy and forgiveness higher than your ways. I think we have a tendency to look at this gospel reading as if it were talking about the inscrutable will of God that we can no way figure out. And I really don't think it's focusing upon that at all but rather the ways of God's grace, which are beyond our understanding and full comprehension. 
Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. He is director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. The gradual from Psalm 145 and the psalm from Psalm 27 are next. Issues Etc. relies on a small group of faithful supporters called the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. These listeners have pledged to become monthly or annual contributors to Issues Etc., and this allows us to budget our expenses more efficiently. Now, there are four levels of giving. The Confessor, $25 monthly, or an annual gift of $250. The Apologist, $50 monthly, or an annual gift of $500. The Reformer, $100 monthly or an annual gift of $1,000. And the Patron, $200 monthly or an annual gift of $2,000. Reformation Club benefits include shirts, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for confessional Lutheran churches. Learn more about joining the Issues Etc. Reformation Club on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. And look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses. Or call Lynn, 618 618- 223-8385, The Issues Etc. Reformation Club. Sanctifying your exercise routine with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press's award-winning curriculum is used by homeschoolers all over the world. Their classical Christian education materials provide everything you need for kindergarten through 12th grade, including books, guides, lesson plans, and instructional videos. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Are you looking for an investment that aligns with your Lutheran values? Look no further than Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Hi, my name is Rahema Kavuga, Director of Synod Relations at LCEF, and we're proud to be an entity of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod which means our focus is clear. When you invest with LCEF, you're helping LCMS-supported ministries and dedicated church workers. Learn more at lcef.org. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest, pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin. He is helping us look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. The 20th Sunday after Trinity. Peter, what are the gradual and the psalm? The gradual is from Psalm 145, verses 15 and 16. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. And this is a passage used in the Catechism for the daily prayers before meals, in which we ask God's blessing upon our food. And to be used here on this Sunday, I mean, you can think of the wedding feast, the spiritual food and drink of eternal life and salvation in Christ. It also indicates that God's grace is the source of sustenance for every living thing. In this sense, both the provision of life in creation and the restoration of life in the gospel of Christ are linked together by the grace of God highlighted in the Old Testament reading and to which we are then directed for the basis of our life in the epistle for the day. Now, if the gradual is not used, the psalm is a portion of Psalm 27, another psalm of David, verses 1 through 9 and verse 8 
serves as the antiphon. And you'll notice in the antiphon, it echoes language from the Old Testament reading, seek the Lord while he may be found. And it reads this way, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in a shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face, my heart says to you. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. So this Psalm of David is rich with assertions of confidence for those who believe in the gospel. And those assertions of confidence are anchored in the promises that Jesus has made to us. The Lord is my light and my salvation. He's died for me. He shed his blood for me. He clothes me with the robe of his own righteousness in baptism. He seats me at the wedding feast in this life, the sacrament of the altar, which is a foretaste of the eternal feast, which is to come. It invites us to seek the face of the Lord at all times, an allusion to the call of the gospel, which is not just a one-time event for us as Christians, but that which continually is extended to us, that we might be faithful by returning daily to the Lord to be embraced in his love. The epistle for this coming Sunday, Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 15. Yes, this epistle reading is in the midst of a chapter in Ephesians 5, the first portion of which begins with a discussion of Christ's sacrifice of love for us, and then a warning to flee from all manner of fornication, which is the way of the flesh, and then it concludes this way before entering into the wonderful language about a Christian marriage. You know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And this is what precedes it. It's in between those two sections. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. 
So look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Anytime we encounter walking in the New Testament, we're talking about the language of discipleship, the walk of faith, making the best use of the time. Uh, the days are evil. Do not be foolish. You know, that's where we walk in impenitence and unbelief, understand what the will of the Lord is, a life of daily contrition and repentance that flees to the Lord and his grace and doesn't seek relief in wine, which is debauchery, but rather in being filled with the spirit, which comes about through the word of Christ. So the epistle is a wonderful description of how those who receive the call of the gospel live in this world. It ends by focusing upon this being filled with the spirit through the praying and singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we do not usually think of singing the church's song as important to the life of sanctification, but it certainly is central to it, as Paul here notes, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And the foundation for that is how we address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Can you imagine if our families did that and the couples in our congregation did that every day around the dinner table? They read scripture, they prayed the psalms, they sang the great song of faith. This is how we're filled with the Spirit and how he nurtures us in Christ's forgiveness. How would you summarize this coming Sunday's Proverbs in terms of law and gospel? The law must address, number one, the temptation to reject the gospel, which is an inherent temptation in the sinful flesh of every one of us. That's what our old Adam resists. It's what our old Adam fights against. So it's not good just to point out the abject unbelief of the Old Testament children of Israel. The law must address that abject unbelief that is part of our sinful nature. Number two, the law must address any notion that salvation is of our own doing and that we do not need the sufficiency of Christ's work. So to push that point home, you know, all is ready. Come to the feast. And then finally, number three, the law must address that the greatest sin is to reject Jesus, to reject the atonement, to reject what he has accomplished for us in his death upon the cross. And so, as I like to say so often, you know, we as Christians, we believe in a person. We trust in a person. We follow a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who made atonement for our sin upon the cross. So the unique gospel for the day picks up on this. Number one, the gospel is the invitation of pure grace that is centered in Jesus, in God's love for us in Christ. Number two, Christ has done everything for us. It is finished. It is accomplished upon the cross. And the word of the gospel doesn't simply tell us about Christ, but it offers to us forgiveness, life, and salvation, and every good gift that he won for us. And number three, the robe of Christ's righteousness covers all our sin in baptism and makes us worthy to enter the marriage feast of the king's son. In this life, to sit at the table of the Lord to receive his body and blood, and in the life to come, to which that sacrament points us to, the eternal feast, which will never end. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thanks. Thank you, Todd. 
Friday on Issues Etc., we'll have Pastors Brian Wolfmiller and Brian Ketchelmeyer respond to your unanswered Bible questions, and we'll continue our series Kids Have Questions with Pastor Jonathan Connor. The call of mercy that goes out from our gracious God in Jesus Christ brings sinners into that wedding hall, and that wedding hall is filled with forgiven sinners. It is His mercy that calls us, and it is mercy that grants us the full forgiveness of our sins in Christ. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.